0: You're listening to the Sydney Opera House Artify You podcast. But what about the strange creatures that are living in the grass? What about the little rodents? What about the insects? All these different creatures. This season is all about steam. Not steam like from a kettle or an old train. Steam is in science, technology, engineering, art, and math. I have a very fun job of researching the weirdest animals. We talk to your favourite creative thinkers to explore the connections between science and creativity. This talk was recorded as a
1: live stream conversation. Up next, Sammy Bailey. Hi everyone, my name is Angharad Yo, but you can call me Rad. I'm your host today and I'm coming to you from the Sydney Opera House. Today, this land is called Benelong Point, but the traditional owners of this land, the Gadigal people, called this place Jubagali. I'd like to acknowledge their Uh, elders past and present, and their ongoing connection to the beautiful land and waters of this place that are world renowned. So we have schools from all over the country joining us today, including Cedars Christian College in Farnborough Heights, Elijah and Noah in Sydney, Sky who's in Canberra, the Year 3 students at Petersham Public School, Scotch Oakburn College in Tasmania, plus a whole bunch more. So thank you everyone for joining us and I hope that you're as excited as I am to chat to our guest today, who is author and illustrator, Sammy Bailey. Hello! (laughs) (laughs) So, Sammy, you are an author and illustrator. What do Mm -hmm. you author and illustrate? Well... I
0: do a lot of things, but mostly these three books here. So I love making books about weird and wonderful animals for kids. Yeah, amazing. So what inspired you to start
1: making books like this?
0: Well, I grew up in a property. When I was in primary school, uh, I had about five acres and it was full of weird and wonderful animals. I had two pet donkeys, Frida and Fabio. And then (laughs) I had pet cows and we had miniature ponies. We had Shetland horses. I had dogs. I had rabbits, chickens. I think I had everything but a cat. (laughs) <laughs> and, so, and I still haven't had a cat yet, so there's still time. But um, I grew up with lots of weird pets and my mum's an artist and so she's painting all of these pictures. And so I loved drawing weird and wonderful animals and just kept pursuing, even though they weren't great drawings, <laughs> I just loved doing it and
1: I just have never stopped. So you said you started with not great drawings. <laughs> How did you get great drawings? Because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show just the cover of this one. Those are pretty great, I would say. Thank (laughs) you.
0: Well, um, a lot of practice. I have done, I don't even know how many paintings or drawings in my entire life, but it would have to be a lot. I know professionally in these three books alone there are over 180 paintings But uh, you can see some of my early drawings and how that kind of progressed. They started off um, with my pet fish. I told you I had fish. I have proof. (laughs) Um, And uh, my beautiful goldfish. And they slowly progressed. So I just did so much drawing again and again. And I was using a lot of those books that show you how to kind of make this circle, this circle, this circle, this shape. And then it suddenly ends in this awesome octopus or something like that. And that was a really, really helpful kind of thing to learn and, and help with proportions and symmetry which I still am getting better at. You're never stopping with when it comes to learning and,
1: and art skills. Um, but yeah, I just have always loved drawing. I love that little trick of like using something that shows you how to draw. Yeah. So you're kind of not just trying to figure it out yourself, which I would think is really hard.
0: Yes, it's, it's really hard. And there's also for those books, I know because I had them, you get <laughs> the animal ones, but then in the same section you have ones to help you draw like cars and trucks. And there's less circles, but there's more kind of <laughs> geometric kind of shapes. But they're, they're such a helpful tool. Because I always say, people go, I don't know how to draw. I don't know how to paint. And I say, it's just a muscle you have to keep using. And if you stop using it, then you forget those skills. You're just like everyone else. You're not born with talent. You just work
1: hard and get it. Is it really different drawing, like, like you said, they're geometric and things. But Mm -hmm. is it really different drawing, like, cars and machines to drawing animals? And does it help to learn, like, one to
0: help the other I think it does Um, I haven't done an illustrated encyclopedia of uh, machinery yet that (laughs) might be next but um, I like to think that drawing all of these different things will help you get better with your skills it doesn't really matter what you're drawing I was drawing I would sit in my lounge room and I would draw my surroundings I would draw the fan I would draw my fireplace and everything just to help me get that kind of muscle memory of using and working with my hands amazing i love i love that you were just like i'll
1: just draw my surroundings yeah i would sit here and i would just draw you and (laughs) it didn't have to be good but it was just doing it i think like i don't draw that much but i kind of enjoy it yeah but i often don't know what to draw that's the thing you don't
0: need something exciting
1: um you don't need to find this
0: really interesting scenery or this awesome weird ugly animal (laughs) you just need to find what's in front of you and there's always something in front of us that's interesting so you're also a natural historian. What mm. does that mean? Well, it's a fancy word to say that I like to uh, study and basically get across different parts of nature in different forms. So I look at different organisms. So I look at plants, animals, fungi and everything like that. And then I do my best at replicating it and trying to um, talk about it and and discussing why it's interesting and uh, and teaching kids about it. Yeah, it's
1: a fancy way to say <laughs> that I just like drawing animals and plants. <laughs> hey, it's always nice to have a fancy way to say it something. It makes me feel a bit special. <laughs> what was your first job as an illustrator? Mm.
0: Well, when I was in high school, I was doing slowly um, lots of work to build up to my big first job, which was making a book. It was making the illustrated encyclopedia of that ugly animals. That was your first This is my first job? gig, yeah. Beforehand, I had done... Um, I had designed two tattoos for people that I got. uh, I think I got $20. So I was pretty Mm -hmm. happy with that in high school. Um, But this was my first major job as an illustrator. And um, it was a pretty daunting job to kind of start with. Yeah. It was a lot of pressure because eventually
1: it would have ended up in lots of homes. So (laughs) were you still in high school when you did this one? No.
0: So I had uh, made the transition into university, but I was still in university doing my honours project. So I was doing a lot of writing. Um, and, uh, and a lot of painting. So there's 60 animals in here, and I did 30 in the honours year, and then I had maybe four months to do the other 30.
1: <laughs> oh, wow. Mm-hmm. How long does it take to do one? One
0: painting or one book? One painting. One painting. Depends on the animal. You'll see a few later on, and I'll maybe give you an example. But um, with the simple ones, maybe one tone a day, mm-hmm. and then with some of the more complex ones, lots of feathers, lots of wrinkles, lots of other bits and pieces. They can be three days and I draw them all A3 size because I really want to get as much details as I can. So you talked a little bit about university. What Mm. did you study in uni? Oh, I did a really cool degree called a Bachelor of Natural History Illustration. And it is the only one in the Southern Hemisphere, so the only one in Australia, of its kind at uh, University of Newcastle. Wow. And I was living in Port Macquarie. And I made the transition, I moved down to, to Newcastle to go to uni and I did this fantastic degree where you basically learn how to paint, draw, create, sculpt, anything to do with the natural world. So we were learning how to scientifically create animals, making sure their proportions were right, just learning about animals in general and, and finding out about how to do research, which ended up helping me a lot. And, um, and it was fantastic. I just
1: loved the degree so much. I didn't even know that there was something like that specific because that's what you do now. It is. And I couldn't believe because I was in year
0: 12 when I first started to to have to think about what I wanted to do as a grown-up. And um, I was thinking about it and I thought, do I want to be an art teacher? Well, I don't know how to draw and paint well enough to teach other people. So that was my kind of setback. And I thought... What else do I do if I want to be an artist? You know, it's really hard to find a job that, that pays the bills. And so my mum actually found the degree called that Bachelor of Natural History Illustration. And she said, this sounds perfect for you because it involves the science and the art. And I never looked back. It was just such a fantastic, I feel like it was structured and built for me, that degree. <laughs> And um, I know not everyone is, is that lucky to have something structured for them.
1: Yeah. So, yeah. Oh, thanks, Mum. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Mum. <laughs> so obviously as well, going to uni would have helped you a lot in what mm. you're doing now. Yes. Do you think that you could have learned all the skills that you needed by yourself or do you think that you really needed to go to uni? I think
0: it's one of those things where I think it comes down to how much motivation you have. If you have a lot of motivation, you don't need to follow certain paths because it's in you. But sometimes you need that bit of a, a a helping push to get right into that right place. The other helpful thing with the university that I went to was that that degree was full of people that were just like me. And it was a really special way to kind of meet other artists and illustrators who loved animals and liked replicating them in a scientific way. And so I'm learning from them and I'm getting opportunities that I might not have gotten if I had gone a different path. But I don't think that that means that you can't take your own path. Art is a form that's been around for a long time, especially scientific art. So you don't, you you just do what what feels natural and and what opportunities come.
1: I guess it's kind of like going to school and seeing all of your friends. And that helps you enjoy what it is you're learning as well. It's like your
0: favourite hobby, but that hobby is now your job (laughs) and you're surrounded by everyone else who loves that hobby. And it's like, Oh, where am I? This is awesome. I want to go every day. And I I didn't want to leave. That's why I did honors. (laughs)
1: Yeah. So you've got three books now and we've got ugly animals, peculiar Mm -hmm. pairs. We've got dangerous animals. Where do you get your ideas?
0: Well, uh, you can probably guess. I get the ideas straight from the animals. I have a very fun job of researching the weirdest animals, whether it's dangerous. I try and look up the most unusual dangerous animals, the most unexpected dangerous animals. Maybe the blue dragon that you see here, uh, it is a dangerous creature and it, it eats blue bottles. I don't know. You can oh, probably… So it lives in the sea. It lives in the sea, yes, okay. and they're only about two centimetres. Wow. So they're not as big as you would, you're would you seeing on the TV. They're really, really small, but they have this wild capability to sting and it can be very painful and potentially deadly. So that's why you should never put your hands into a rock pool. Because you don't know what's lurking Mm. along many other creatures living in uh, rock pools. But I get my inspo from the animals. I really love finding weird and wonderful creatures that kids don't really get the chance to hear about. I like being the advocate for the weird animals. The voice (laughs) for the voiceless in some ways. And and sharing the spooky kind of venomous lizards that are only few in the world that bite down and chomp. Which is Mm. disturbing but it's pretty cool. And they almost chew when they inject their venom. And um, their bumpy kind of texture on their skin is not just on the the outside as their skin; it's actually their bone structure. What? So if you were to find just a skull of a healer monster, this is a healer monster spelled with a G, but it's pronounced healer monster. It um it has like a bumpy, literally like that, but they're formed on the skull. Wow,
1: That's really cool. There's some at Taronga Zoo. So the bumps that like are on that mm-hmm. aren't actually the skin at all. It's no. just like normal skin over a bumpy yes. skull. Yes. That's incredible. Do you know, is there a reason why? Nature. Evolution. <laughs> sometimes there's answers. Sometimes
0: we haven't quite discovered them yet. But um, I think that's one of those cases where it's like, we're still learning. That's
1: incredible. So do you kind of like pick an animal, like one animal that you really want to draw mm. and then try and find other ones that can fit in with a the theme of yeah. that so animal? You, usually I always start
0: with like a, just a word doc, a simple list from one to 60, because I have 60 animals in all of the books, except for the recent one, Peculiar pairs is 60 pears. So at you do the math at home, but that's 120, <laughs> so it's a lot. And um, and I usually create database. Usually it's pretty easy and quick for me to fill one to 30 of the most ugly animals or the, the ugliest of creatures or the dangerous of creatures. And then I have trouble trying to find the rest of that 30. And then <laughs> you would think that it's easy trying to think of ugly animals, but you kind of get to a certain point and you're like, I've, I've looked at every animal that exists on Earth. And so then I get really interesting with my Google searches. And I go, Uh big nose fish, large (laughs) nose monkey, bald bird, and then all of these pictures come up and I have to decipher what's Photoshop and what's real.
1: Wow. (laughs) But how do you decide if something's ugly? Because, for example, I know we have a picture of an emu Mm -hmm. that you've done. Yes. I think emus are beautiful. Well, I didn't put that in ugly animals because I thought I would have been chased out.
0: But I did put a cassowary, which is arguably very similar. (laughs) Um, But I had the issues and troubles of trying to discover creatures that I would think majority might agree was ugly but at the same time it's just my perception everyone's going to have a different idea and perception or or thought about what's ugly what's weird what's a little bit strange and I think that's the awesome thing is that we all won't agree and it's just a human (laughs) word that we are putting on the animals the other emus think that they're beautiful and that's all that
1: matters (laughs) I love it as well though because even if it's not ugly they certainly are strange yes and I think ugly when we think of the word ugly it's just what we're not used to
0: seeing yeah. it's just what where we don't see it all the time and so other people will have different perceptions or thoughts of what's ugly because they might have seen something more often so it's just beauty is in the eye
1: of the beholder <laughs> so in learning about all of these animals you learn a, a lot about how they live and mm. where they live don't you oh yes yeah. so each of my books are
0: set into little sections because when I was a kid, I, I really struggle to read big walls of text. So I don't know if anyone out there is the same, where they really like to have information broken up into categories. But that's what I really wanted to do. And so I have the description. So I talk about why they're ugly, what about their features, why they're so important or dangerous or peculiar. And then I talk about where they live. So I research their habitat. I talk about their diet, what they eat. I talk about their conservation status, which is a fancy word to say how many are left in the wild. Wow. Or what... what maybe threats they're facing whether it's extinction or maybe least concern which is good we like the word least concern it means that there's lots of them and uh and then I have fun facts which is where I use usually put my best and most wild facts into the book Uh, so it's my favorite category if you're wanting to open the book. Do you have a particularly wild fact that you can do. tell us? I do. It's a bit gross. So I, it's, it's good. You should have had your breakfast by now. <laughs> um, but maybe for recess or lunch, you might um, just don't be grossed out. So I, a Maribou stalk, and I actually um, have one here. Oh, he's very strange looking. A marabou stork. So this is a bird. It lives in Africa. It's 160 centimetres. So it's just smaller than me. I'm 166. It is a large bird. And you're probably looking at it being like, okay, it is, you might be able to understand why it's my favourite ugly animal. (laughs) But these birds have built-in hand sanitizer. Now, not in the fact that we're used to having that nice smelling, clean, pump bottle. Yeah. These birds have built-in hand sanitizer in their poo. In their poo? In their poo. The poo's dirty. No, not these birds. So these birds, well, they are it is <laughs> sort of dirty. I don't encourage you to poo on yourself after you hear the story, <laughs> but you can see I've drawn some little stork legs cuz storks. So they have really thin legs like poles. And they're around dead animals all day cuz they're kind of like vultures. They eat Dead animals, which is known as carry on, or, or they're known as scavengers. So they eat the leftover bits. So they're really good cleaners of the environment, which is super important. But they need to make sure that they're killing germs because we know that too many germs can make us sick. And so instead of using hand sanitizer, they poo down their legs, and it drips down oh, no. like like diarrhoea. It drips down really runny, and it coats their legs almost in the consistency of sunscreen. <laughs> But it kills germs because inside of that poo are these chemicals and and properties that kill germs. So believe it or not,
1: it makes them cleaner. That is only for the marabou (laughs) stork. That's not for humans. I'll try it later, don't worry. No. (laughs) Maybe I already did. That's amazing. So did you find that out while you were researching to put one of these books together? Pretty much
0: all of the animals in the books I had no idea about. Whether I knew their faces maybe or I knew a very brief bit of information. But I didn't know the actual deep down information about each of the creatures. And so I was learning along with you guys. And and I think that was the special bit about making these books was because I was writing it in a way that I was learning too. So I didn't want to use this complex terminology or complex big fancy words. Because you want to be able to understand it. So I learned so many things. My brain's full of facts. They're usually poo facts. I don't know why. They, they stick in there for some reason.
1: Well, there you go. <laughs> yeah, that's an insight into me. <laughs> so in learning about animals and then learning about the homes that they live in, mm. what has that taught you about the natural world? Mm. Well, I think the main thing that I've learned about what how
0: important animals and their, their homes are is just how much their surroundings impact their lives, but also their evolution. So how their different surroundings make them change. And I'm talking over millions of years, thousands, millions of years. So it's a really slow process. So we won't see the changes in our lifetime, but we're able to look back at history and see how different animals, while they might have started the same, one goes to this place, one goes to another location, and just how different they change because of their individual surroundings. And I think that's so interesting But just learning about their adaptations.
1: Well, just like if there wasn't dead things around, the marabou stork wouldn't need to poo on its legs. Exactly. It would just poo like a a normal bird (laughs) on our cars, I'm sure. So because, you know, we know that a lot about the environment has Mm. changed since humans have come onto the scene. Yes. And we do things very differently to all other animals. What impact have we seen from humans on animals and their environment? Yes.
0: Well, I'll start with the, with the difficult part because – and then I'll have a positive because it is always a positive, especially when we're talking about animals that are getting used to humans' interactions and how we deal with animals. But climate change might be a big one. Um, animals aren't used to their, their climate changing. I think that's as simple as it needs to get, you know. Their water temperature may be heating up. Maybe those the polar bears, the ice caps are melting. They have less, less uh, land to be able to go across. And they have to do more swimming. can be more tiring. Um, and, and deep down in the ocean, the very bottom of the ocean, temperatures, even though it's super slow, tiny temperature changes can make a world of difference An increasing of uh, wild weather, um, whether it's very windy but usually, um, you know, increased chances of fires can have a big impact on uh, on animals. And so it's our job as the animal advocates for all of you kids out there listening to be really looking at how you can do your best to help these animals and make your impact and, and to make sure that they stay around for a
1: long time. I guess it's kind of like if suddenly you couldn't go to the shops and buy food anymore yes. and you didn't know where to get food, exactly. it'd be really tricky because you're used to doing that. Exactly. Or if, if your bed moves in your house to a different room every night and you have to go find it again. Exactly. where are you going to sleep? Exactly. <laughs> and you're just not used to it and, and it takes such
0: a long time to adapt to changes. And, and so that's why we have such an important job to help them along with those changes.
1: So what are some things that we can do?
0: Well, I think a simple one, talking. Just having a conversation <laughs> like we're doing now, talking to each other, talking in your classroom or if you're at home, chatting about why animals are so awesome why they're so important, why we should look after them and maybe how we can do that. And so simple things might be rubbish. I know that we all have rubbish, we all make rubbish all the time um, but maybe looking at minimising our rubbish. um, Simple things by putting them in the bin, I'm sure all of you are doing that but just in case you need a reminder, put your rubbish in the bin, super easy, doesn't float and fly into the ocean because you'd be very surprised to see just how far in the ocean plastic and rubbish can end up mm. even kilometers and kilometers down. And we really, really don't want that. So, uh, minimizing your rubbish. Uh, and also, another one is looking into recycling is a super good one as well. So, really thinking about maybe, do I need to buy this new plastic bottle? Can I go to a station that refills my laundry detergent? And so I can keep this existing bottle. Um, and then also, if you're, especially when we're talking about the ocean and fish, look at what you're eating, where you're eating it, where you're finding that
1: food try and find nice and ethical places as well. And we're doing this chat because uh, of World Environment and World Ocean yes. Days. Can you please tell us what those days are and what people can do to get involved? Yeah, so it's basically a day and
0: it's, it's a very important day to be able to talk to each other about these animals if we, or, and, and the environments and the ocean. So if we were to not have a set day, you might kind of forget and it might not be important, but by having a set day... Reminded to come together, talk about it, realize just how awesome the ocean is, and, and how important it is to our survival. Because we get a lot of our oxygen, not just from the trees on Earth on, on the surface, but from the plants under the ocean. How? Because it's yes. underwater. I know, I know. It's this very sciencey term termination that I'm still learning about. <laughs> but there, all the different the plant matter in the ocean is able to create oxygen that we're then able to utilize, and oh. it's super important. And so we need to make sure we have a healthy environment not just above land but below and these sort of days are super important because kids can learn about these different activities and and just talk discuss maybe they get inspired and then when they get older they want to do certain things and become animal advocates or environmental advocates and and help nature as well so I think talking about things with your family maybe ask your mum and dad or someone at home why they think the ocean or or nature is important and and see what they come up with.
1: It really seems as well particularly for you that learning about such a different range of animals that live in all kinds of different places mm. and ones that are really interesting yes. really sparked how you know your passion for this mm. and made you care about it because you're seeing not only like not only do we need to take care of the oceans but we need mm. to take care of the jungles and the deserts because yes. there's all different animals that are really important. So do you think that kind of Expanding your horizons is part of it as yes. well. Yes, and I think another great one as well is we often think of,
0: you know, we have oh yes a big beautiful elephant and we have the wonderful panda and a lion, but what about the strange creatures that are living in the in the in the grass? You know, what about the little rodents? What about the insects? What about all of these different creatures that we don't think and see, uh, in, you know, even care about in some regards? And and learning about all of those little things. And the ugly ones and, the, and learning about how dangerous animals are just doing it to protect themselves and different relationships in nature. It just makes a world, the world a better place. I'm so much happier learning about all of these different animals that and I feel like I'm in this whole new world that I didn't know existed. And it's just, it's at your fingertips. You can
1: look up and find about it, these animals so easy. It's amazing, isn't it? Because sometimes you get to be a grown-up and you kind of think, I know most animals that exist. I thought that and then
0: I just realized how many, I I can't remember the exact number, but there are millions of species that we still have not yet, that we know of, but we haven't quite defined. And we know, there's so many more that we don't know of that maybe down the bottom of the ocean somewhere. But so many different things that we're yet to learn about. And I'm just excited. Maybe not in my lifetime, but (laughs) I hope so. It's kind of spooky as well, isn't it? It is. We know more about Mars than we do our deep, Bottom of the ocean. Really, Mars mm-hmm. mm-hmm. is so far away. I know, but it's actually harder to research down the bottom of the ocean because of the the pressure. It's really, really intense pressure, and um, and also trying to get water technology and and it's expensive. <laughs> I'm sure it's expensive. I don't have the funds for that, but um, it's just a great way to. Find out more about life.
1: <laughs> so I know that we have a little time-lapse video mm. of you doing some work, which yes. I haven't seen yet. And I would really love to see. Uh, when when I saw a tiny bit of it earlier, mm. you made a joke that you actually just worked this fast, <laughs> but it's too fast. I don't well, think you do.
0: No, I'll, I'll give you a run through. So while you're watching this, this is a video of me painting. Now this painting took me maybe two, three days, I think. And so this is like, a really quick time lapse i wish i was that fast i wish <laughs> i had eight hands because i would get so much stuff done a lot quicker but you can see i'm using watercolors so a lot of you at home probably have used watercolors before but it's about layering layering on top of layering waiting for the layers to dry you can see it's a that was me probably going and, and having dinner coming back doing more until eventually it's what all is done that? that is a hand fish What's a handfish? A handfish. You can probably see why it's called a handfish because it looks like it has little hands. There, its fins have changed over time, evolved, and they have become elongated like fingers. And so they walk on the ground. They do a little bit of swimming, but mainly walking. And see that kind of stalk next to that handfish? Yeah. Do you think it might be a plant? Is it attached to the handfish? No, is it's, it it's an thumb? animal. What? It's an animal. It's a it's a type of sea tulip, which is like a. It's not a plant, I promise. It's kind of like a, a strange creature, and it uses that handfish uses that like little pole, that animal that's growing like a mm. like a plant, to anchor its eggs around, and so it's it lays its eggs around that pole, so those eggs don't fly, swim away, or not actually swim but float away in the ocean and other creatures don't come and eat them and so it's like this little safe place if we were to tie a dog up out the front of a shop for a moment does the tulip mind no doesn't mind at all it's very it's it's not like a normal animal where it's um super uh aware it's very it's almost like a plant where it doesn't do much um but it's just happy to be there (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing and would that be in peculiar pairs it is so in peculiar pairs i talk about a fancy word called symbiosis, which is basically just means maybe an animal, maybe a plant, maybe two animals, maybe two plants come together. But different species they come together to help each other survive, Ooh. and that's symbiosis. So that's the positive one. So they and and that sometimes they're not so straightforward. Where maybe one benefits like that fish, and the other doesn't really mind either way. <laughs> but then I talk about parasites. Parasites. I talk about parasitic relationships. I feel like parasites are bad. Well, it's where you look at it. They might be bad to some animals because usually they use bigger animals as hosts. So they live on them. Hand up at home if you've ever had a leech before. That's an example of a parasite. I have and they're really itchy. They do. Sometimes you don't even notice they're there. Same as head lice. I've had head lice before. It's Mm all right. Um, Ticks. (laughs) Fleas, if you've got a cat or dog and they're always itching and scratching, they're types of parasites. So they're using a host, a bigger creature, sometimes an animal or a human, to live on and and drink the blood, sometimes the nutrients, which is like all that stuff we need in our bodies to keep us healthy and happy. And so they use that stuff to basically survive and thrive. Sometimes it can be annoying but usually it's in small doses. We don't even know that they're there. So I like to think that they're really cool. And I do have a, um, a zombie parasite. A zombie parasite. Yes, yes. Tell it's us about that one. So it's in a snail and it's it's a parasitic worm. It's a green worm. I'll see if I can find it. It's a parasitic worm that lives in the eye of a snail, the in eye stalk. Yes. So it basically, you know snails and they have those little like two the little pointy bits. Point up. Yeah. Yes. Imagine a normal, oh, here we go. This is a bit gross. <laughs> this here, this is, well, this side here is a normal snail eye. Yeah. But the green part is the parasitic worm. And so it's gone into the snail's body up through that, that part there is called a foot, snail's foot. It goes up there via bird poop. Oh, no. So bird poops, a bird poops outside, it's pretty normal. The snails, every now and then they walk, or well, they don't walk, they slide over bird <laughs> poop. And inside of that bird poop is parasitic eggs. Ooh. And so those parasitic eggs go up into the body until they work their way up into the brain. And that parasite turns into a worm and it starts controlling the mind. Kind of like if we play a game, like a PlayStation game, or, and we can control our characters. And it's almost like that parasite suddenly says, snail, Mr. Snail, you need to do exactly what I say. And the snail can't do anything to avoid that. And so it has to do it and it goes up into the open, gets attracted, attracts birds, that parasite, gets eaten by a bird and the parasite ends up back in the tummy of a bird
1: and it all Where it can again. happen
0: again. Lay more eggs and the cycle repeats. Do we know how it controls its mind? That sounds really spooky. It messes with, I've got a similar one in there where a parasite messes with the fear receptors. So what oh. we become scared of. So that would be like us going into the ocean and go, I'm not scared of that shark anymore. I'm going to go give it a cuddle. And it kind of, you know, that's usually what we don't do. And so creatures are able to, to target the brain and start controlling, almost like pulling, pulling levers and wires and controlling what they do. That's amazing. It is cool, but we don't have any human-involved uh, uh, parasites yet. Maybe in another million years. No, thank you. Yeah. I'm good. <laughs> maybe, maybe you have a parasite right now controlling you, telling you what to say.
1: No. Is that what the parasites are? <laughs> <laughs> so tell us what you're working on next. I hear we have a little sneak peek of I'm what so it excited. might be. I'm so excited. I haven't shared this yet. So this is just a, an inside mm. Easter egg for, for everyone who's
0: watching. So... I'm not doing any illustrated encyclopedias for now. We're going to put that to rest for a bit. Mm-hmm. I'm going down into the ocean. And yeah, I mean sure. I'm actually going into the ocean in this book. I'm going to be in this book. I'm You're diving down. Ocean. Yeah. And I'm going down into this book and discovering how creatures came to be the way they are. So I have a new series coming up called How We Came to Be. And it's going to be looking at different parts of the world, looking at the different animals in different environments, and I'm starting with surprising sea creatures going down into the ocean. And I'm going to be looking at different ocean zones. I think there's five ocean zones. And I'm going to be diving into each of them until I reach the bottom of the ocean. Ooh. And I'm going to, and you can see me up in the corner. I've got my little diving suit on. <laughs> I've got a beautiful, uh, beautiful octopus holding my hand. And, uh, and I'm going to be talking to the animals, actually hearing firsthand from the animals wow. about why they look the way they do. Whether it's that little squished flounder, <laughs> why he has two eyes on one side of his face, the angler fish and how he uses that awesome lure to mm. catch pred- prey um, or whether it's that long creature which you might find out a little bit later leave that as a secret but oh. I'm really excited
1: it comes out in September end of September this year oh I look forward to being surprised by the oh, sea you will creatures be. <laughs> I bet there's going to be all sorts of like weird fish and stuff that I've never seen before yes and especially when you get deeper into the ocean and it gets darker
0: Stranger things start to, <laughs> to happen. Like you don't know what's happening until you put a light down there and you you really get spooked. Oh, yeah, because it would just all be pitch black. It's complete darkness. Unless you're an awesome little uh, anglerfish and you can create your own light source, which there are a few creatures in there that can create their own light
1: source. Ooh, well, I can't wait to go diving with you in that one. <laughs> and um, I also heard that you're going to draw with us today. I am. I'm going to teach you how
0: to draw a creature. It's a good segue because... Maybe it might be a creature from this book. Oh, okay. It might be now. Sea creature. Yes. So I, you have your drawing, your yes. utensils. I'm going to draw along. Your materials. So I want you at home to grab a bit of paper at school, wherever you are, wherever you are. Bit of paper if you don't have one, and a pencil or a texter, whatever you have. And I'm going to give you a couple moments to All gather right. that because I'm going to teach you how to draw. Now I would like you to put your paper so it is in. Portrait. So just like this. Like Up that. upright. right. Perfect. I have a square canvas that I'm going to be using. So you have to imagine that mine is a portrait. Okay. Are you ready to follow along? Yes. Okay. I'm going to describe each part that I do. But I'm going to do some. And I just have to copy what you're doing. I want you to do exactly what I'm doing. <coughs> so you've got one. Two. See if you can count them out and make sure you have the right amount. Perfect. Three. Perfect. kind of looks like the <laughs> <now>. amount. <laughs> and then I want you to Ooh. go like that. So you're doing almost like, it kind of looks like a, a ribbon. Like a little ribbon. And then I want you to stop when you get up there.
1: Okay. So I've got my shape Beautiful. on the bottom now. Perfect. And then another layer. Another ribbon. Exactly. Almost like a banner. Yeah. I used <coughs> to draw banners. Oh, oh well, you'd so. be great.
0: I'm not, <laughs> I'm not teaching you to draw a banner today. This is an animal, I promise.
1: You it's the banner it. fish.
0: <laughs> it probably is called cool one. Well, cool out there. <laughs> oh, I made a mistake, but keep going. It's all right if you make a bit of a wobble. Still learning. Even though I've done over 300 paintings, <laughs> I'm still making mistakes. And then that last bit. I want you to kind of little tail. Now, it looks looks quite strange at the moment, but you're doing fantastic. Thank you. Now, towards this sort of, you'll see where where I go, I want you to do that shape. Oh, okay. I don't really know what that shape is. Is it its mouth? It is. (laughs) (laughs) And then I want you to do... Oh. Kind of looks (laughs) like a little smile. He's
1: smiling.
0: And then I want you to do a big circle. Oh, big eye. It looks very silly at the moment, very cute, and a big pupil. But then at the corner of the eye, I want you to kind of go up like a, a triangle. Ooh. Kind of like he's got some, like, winged eyeliner on, like me, but he doesn't, this fish. And then I want you to do a little, sh- a little shape, on top. like a little eyebrow. And then once you've done that, I am going pretty fast. So if you're if you're needing a little bit more time, take your time. Take your time, because I've done this a few times, so I'm a bit speedy. And then I want you to go like that. Okay. Because we're drawing the gills. That one feels tricky for some reason. It does. Sometimes it feels like a natural part when you're drawing it. Sometimes it's not very natural. Now, you haven't done this before. I just want to clarify that you're doing it fresh
1: Yeah, I haven't seen this before. No.
0: So I've done another curve behind that gill. And then I want you to draw... Or some lines. little lines
1: in it. Yeah.
0: Okay. And then I might go back to the eye and do a little curve around. You gave him an eye bag. Yeah, he's a bit tired. He's a bit tired. This one might be like some of us this morning. <laughs> and then I'm going to do a little teeny teeny fin. Ooh. A teeny tiny fin. And then I want you to draw some lines. Oh, it's getting detailed. It is getting very detailed. It'll slowly start to look like something. Now, I want you to draw some lines in that first section. Kind of like a broken road, like the, the lines and yeah. lanes. Just something like that. And it doesn't have to be section. perfect. does not have to be perfect. Everyone's going to have their own creature at the end. Makes it more unique, I think. And then same for this sort of back section. It's a road fish. (laughs) It's a banner road fish. It's the highway fish. (laughs) It's what what I used to go down when I went down to the ocean. (laughs) And then that lucky little last bit. Now it still looks empty because it's missing a lot of features. Okay. So I want you to go up and start drawing back. Ooh. Until you reach there. Oh, so I cross over. Yeah, so you can go over this sort of section here. I can't quite oh, point with that drawing, but. Mine went funny. That's all right if it looks funny. You're, no, perfect. Do you want to maybe, that's perfect. Exactly what you need to do. And then from where that kind of stopped, I want you to pick up from and go above. Oh. Go through that part then and then stop there. Okay. it's got a dorsal fin. And its dorsal fin runs all the way back over its body. What's a dorsal fin? So it's like the fin that's on the top of a fish. Yeah, okay. Yep. So if you ever see a fish next time, have a look (laughs) at where those fins might be positioned. So I've done another section on the third section now. And I'm just drawing a line on top. Yes. Because we're going to fill it in. And then I want you to do one there. It's so squiggly. Do you know how big these creatures are? I won't tell you what the creature is yet, but I'll... Okay. How big? How big? (laughs) Do you think they might be
1: like a metre? Yeah, I think... Oh, fish usually aren't that big, but it's very long. So I'm going to say, yeah, a metre. This fish
0: can go three metres at least up to eight metres. Huge. Eight metres? Huge. It would be huge. Wow. Okay. So I want you... To draw lots of little lines. Maybe you can do... All along it? Like a zigzag? Yeah, so you can leave your pencil or paper... A pencil or pen on the paper the entire time. Kind of going up and back, up and back. And then... Along the whole thing? Yep. In the next section, you can start wherever you would like.
1: (laughs) It's hard to keep in the
0: line. It is. I'm still going out of the lines. But it's okay. We're all learning now. I'm going to make... I'm going to turn mine around because I don't want to put my hand and then actually... Accidentally erase anything because I'm using a fancy device.
1: It is a little easier to draw on paper. I it find. is. Whoa! I laughed and it showed. <laughs> uh, uh.
0: Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> I see why you laugh. It's like my heartbeat. <laughs> I was looking at mine. <laughs> Beautiful. Okay, we're really close to being done. So now I want you, it's going to go over the other parts of the body, but that's okay. So I want you from the top of its head. To go and make these two shapes. Well, this one shape. It's kind of like a a reindeer horn. But it's their little dangly bits that are really cool. And then I want you to do
1: another one with three little bits. Ooh, okay. That's just behind it like an ant. Yeah, and
0: if you're running out of room, you can squeeze it in as much as you can. And then I want you to do, if you have room, I have just enough room to do one more with no extra bits, just a single bit. And then under here, under the gill, I want you to do, if you have enough room, maybe you can kind of warp yours around. Wow. To do one underneath. So what are the dangly bits? They're part of its body. It's just these awesome little extra bits of fins. And then do another one if you can. And then when we're... Nearly finished, which we are nearly finished. I'm going to tell you what it is because I'm sure many of you have probably guessed it. Have you guessed it yet? I don't think I've ever seen this before. (laughs) Maybe I'm making you draw a mystery creature. You made this up. The the last steps are doing like sprinkles or hundreds of thousands all across its body. You can go up towards the head. Fish do like to be dotty. They do. And these shapes aren't all even. Sometimes you have bigger ones. Sometimes they're long. Sometimes they're a perfect circle, however, you'd like to do them. Across the whole thing? Across the whole section, oh, all that wow. highway that we drew at the beginning. And you can kind of, if you have a pencil, maybe you can use it and really dot it on. But last little bits. Now, if I were to color this in, it would be like a blue silvery color, and the fins would be red. And they would be ready pink because of what it eats, kind of like a flamingo where it's that pinky. Tinge, oh! Because are of they pink because of what they eat? Yeah, these creatures here eat lots and lots of krill, which are like kind of like little prawns, and uh, they eat lots of them, and they're all pink. And so they change their fins, which are this that long part on the top. They turn them red and pink. And this is an oarfish. An oarfish. An oarfish. And like oar, oar, kind of like a like you're using it in a canoe.
1: An oarfish. Oarfish. By Rad. Oh, yes. I'm, I'm signing mine. <gasps> That's my fish.
0: Oh, beautiful. I'm writing it on the side, so it's probably not easy to read. Beautiful. Thank <gasps> oh, you. I'm so happy. That actually went quite well. <gasps> That's a really tricky thing to draw. I had to really practice to get that kind of wave going. Yeah. So I'm really impressed. Even well, if you struggled a bit at home. You that's made hard. it very
1: easy to follow along <gasps> with. You. So thank you. That's all
0: right. It's break it's about looking at a creature and breaking it down into little individual parts because it does eventually get easier. Into all of its little patterns. Exactly, little steps, and it's not as
1: overwhelming until it eventually looks like a giant oarfish, an eight-meter long fish. <laughs> Well, mine isn't quite that long, but thank you for joining us today and chatting to us and showing us how to draw a really cool fish. My pleasure! Thanks for being a good, uh, good uh, audience member, <laughs> a good student yes. of drawing. <laughs> and thank you to everyone who has joined us and drawn along with us. Um, if you want to send us your drawings here at the Sydney Opera House, we would really, really love for you to do that. So chat to your teachers and maybe you can send them in to us and we can have a look at all the different kinds of oarfish. I would love it. It'll be like different species. We'll, yeah. It'll be awesome. Make, make our own little book of oarfish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, how cool. Oh, that was wonderful. I'm so yeah. impressed
1: how well you did. Thank you so much for joining us, Sammy. And thank you everyone at home. And remember that we would really like for you to come back and join us again another time here at the Sydney Opera House for another tour or a workshop or a talk. So from everyone here, we'll see you later. Mm -hmm.
0: To make sure you don't miss out, subscribe to Artie Fartie, wherever you get your podcasts from. Thanks for listening.